All right, gang, let's take our Bible and turn back to Nehemiah chapter number 8. Nehemiah chapter number 8. We have been working this summer through this book. I'm going to preach today on Nehemiah chapter number 8. And next Sunday you would want to come because uh, in the space of about 30 minutes I'm going to preach the rest of the entire book next Sunday. And so you'll want to pray for me this week. Nehemiah 8. Just to bring us up to speed, if you were reading chapter number 7 this week, of course you would understand there that uh, Nehemiah, after they finish building the wall, he does a few things that are highly important. He enlists leaders for the congregation, and then he establishes all of the people of the congregation. And then at the end of chapter number 7, they begin to worship the Lord with uh, music and instruments. And God is honored and glorified. And then as we come to our scripture today, Nehemiah chapter number 8, you see that what lies at the heart of the worship service is the word of the living God. And so what I want to do is just read for us verse 1 through 12. And I'll read aloud, you read silently. And uh, you give me a pardon as I get to the names that are hard to read. I'll do the very best that I can. Nehemiah 8 and verse number 1, let me pick up reading. It says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of the men and women, and all who could listen with understanding. And on the first day of the seventh month, he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from early in the morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for that very purpose, and beside him stood Mattaniah, Shema, Anani, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. On his right hand, and Pedaniah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbadanan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, on his left hand, just a few more to go. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all of the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. And while lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Masai, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pali, the Levites, explained the law of the, uh, to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating or explaining to give the sense of that so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all of the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go and eat of the fat and drink of the sweet and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our God. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy, and do not be grieved. 
And all of the people went away to eat and to drink and to send portions and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we ask God to bless the reading of His Scripture and the proclamation thereof. Father, we love You. And I pray now for strength and grace. I pray that the Spirit of the Lord God would anoint me to bring good news to the afflicted to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to those who are in the prison of their own sin. Father, I pray that today we would honor You, that we would honor the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of the living God. And Lord, that we would put Your Word high and that we would see from it how to live. And Lord, that we would see how our church should operate together both corporately and individually in our own lives. We love You. Lord, I speak on behalf of the people that are with us today. We thank You, we love You, and we praise You. And we call to You in this very moment, knowing and believing. You said, Lord, that, um, that we must live by faith knowing that You are alive, that You're there. And so we plead with You to meet with us in this room, in this hour, at this time. Help those, Lord, who are hurting. I pray for those that are lost and undone without Jesus, that in this moment that they would see Jesus high and lifted up and the Savior of their sinful condition. And Lord, for every believer in the room, that we would exalt and honor the Scripture and we would learn to be people of the Word of God. For it is in the name of Jesus we say these things. Amen. Uh, brothers and sisters, when we come to a passage like this, I, I, we could preach on this section again and again and again, and so I want to do the best I can in just a few minutes to try and help us just see a few points from this section of Scripture. One of my heroes of the faith, his name was uh, John Stott, and probably, probably my second or third favorite book I've ever read is Between Two Worlds by John Stott, and in that book he says that the Word of God written is the Word of God. Now you might be sitting there thinking that's not very profound, that's uh, who comes up with that, who got a book for that, but the longer you think about that sentence, the longer you understand how important the very Word of God is, that the Word of God written, the one that you have in your lap, the Bible upon which we hold and read and live, that the Word of God written is the very Word of God. And we must learn to live that way. We must place the Bible at the center of our lives because it tells us about Christ. It tells us about the character of the Father. It tells us about the work of the Holy Spirit. It tells us about creation and our fall into sin and the redemption that is provided at the cross and in the resurrection and in the life that we are to live and in the eschaton, the time to come into the future when Jesus comes and makes all things right. All of world history and everything we need to know for faith and practice comes from the very word of the living God. Amen? Now let me say something to you that you might not say amen, but in your heart you might say, oh me. If the written word of God is the voice of God, how much of it did you pay attention to this last week? Now let me pause there for a moment and say that I'm not talking about so much quantity as I am quality. Uh, I'm not asking did you read an, uh, a chapter or a book of the Bible or the New Testament or Old Testament this last week. What I'm asking is how much this past week did you get in a quiet space 
Open God's Word. Read it. Meditate on it. Pray it back to the Lord. And then go out and say, what I just read in that Bible is as true and as authoritative as if the God who flung all of the stars in the space came down into my living room while I was drinking my cup of coffee and spoke to me in that James Earl Jones voice and said, this is my Word. Did you obey the Bible this week as if the God of eternity was sitting beside you when you read it. Did you obey the Bible this week like that? If you didn't, then I would say today would be the time in your life that you need to re-up on a commitment that the Word of God written is God's Word. You see, as good Baptists, we like to shout and get excited and hold our Bibles up and say, this is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. And we like to almost put ourselves on a pedestal and everybody else down. And we, we want to hold on to the Word of God. But what I want to ask is, do you obey it as if it is the very Word of God? Is there anybody in this room that, you, I don't even know if you'd raise your hand with me, but you'd say along with me that there's been a time in your believing life that you just wanted to hear the real voice of God? You're lying if you say you didn't. Right? You know that in your mind you're like, you've had those times you'd be like, you know what, if God would roll back a Red Sea for me and let me walk across on dry land, and then if He'd open up the Noose River and let me walk across on it, I'd really believe there was a God and I'd do what He said. Would you? What about the God that rolled that Red Sea away? What about Him living inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit? The Word of God written is the Word of God. And it is paramount and central to all that we do as a church and to all that you should do as an individual Christian. So here's what I want to do. Did you read that passage with me? Did you see how uh, they are looking for the Word of God? And they even make this podium. Did you notice how some of what's going on in Nehemiah 8 looks a little similar to what's going on here? Right? They build a wood podium and they put the Bible on it, and Ezra stood above the people. Do you see how we've got what's going on here? Do you see that the way we even built this building is in some sense to mimic some of the passages that we find in the Old Testament. Notice, if you will, in this passage, they didn't build the wood podium and elevate it so that Ezra was made much of, but so the written Word of the living God was made much of. They were elevating the Word of God, and as long as it was being proclaimed and read, that's what was... Honoring the heart of God. You notice how we had a reading at the beginning of our service today, and what did it say here? That they beginning the morning, and they read from the morning until midday. And so I take license here that what we should do is probably preach for three hours. Does that sound? <laughs> I think me and my wife will be here by ourselves. So here's what I want to do. In this passage, you should take note that the Word of God the law of God. And by the way, when you see the law of God in your Old Testament English, uh, it really is probably should be translated Torah. It means instruction, not law. It's not talking about simply the Ten Commandments. It's talking about the entirety of the Old Testament, which is not law. It's the instruction to God's people. And by the way, the law of God always reveals the character of God Himself. And they put central to their life and to the church the Word of God. Here's what I want to do. With that being said, let me just point out a few things that goes on in this text when God's Word is made central in our lives and in His church. 
Okay? Look down with me, if you would, at verse number one. Here's the first thing. And all the people gathered as one man. You see that? When it comes to the written Word of God being central to the service of God and to the people of God and to our lives, it has a way of bringing about unity. All of the people of God, they had been building the wall and they had unity there. They had been together, but there were all kinds of problems going on from within and from without. But what happens in this section is when the Word of God is put at the center of the church, when the Word of God is put at the center of our lives, it has a way of bringing unity to God's people. And I just want to say, on a corporate level at Emmanuel Baptist Church. The reason why we always put the Word of God central in our Sunday school lessons, in our small group lessons, in the preaching, in everything that we do is because we want God to develop and move a spirit of unity within the body of Christ. And the only way we can have true unity is not by everybody doing what's right in their own eyes or everybody doing what they think is the way to go, but when our hearts and minds are settled on God's Word and we decide to go His way and not just our way, when we put His Word first, there will be a sense of unity within the body of the believers. God's Word always brings unity. Secondly, I want you to see in verse number 1, it says, at the square which was in front of the water gate. And notice here, and they asked. You might have in your Bible, and they asked. The word there is, they commanded. The people commanded Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. Brothers and sisters, when we begin to put the Word of God central in our church and in our lives, we not only begin to see unity, but we begin to see the people of God have a hunger and a thirst and a desire and even a commanding to hear from the Lord and His Word. And that's the way we ought to be. I cannot speak. I'm not the pastor of any other church. I'm not the pastor of this community, nor of the city of Raleigh, nor any other church in the world. I am the shepherd of this church. But what I can say to you on the authority of the Word of God is that what we will do in this place is preach and teach and read and love God's holy Word. You go into some churches, and I mean, it's just the next newest program And when you chew the flavor out of that bubble gum, you go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And you know why people jump churches and go from here to here to here to here? It's because they're always looking for something that will tickle their ears or tickle their fancy or the next best speaker or the next best music program instead of tying their entire life and their hunger and their thirst for the Word of God to this book. The people demanded the Word. Is that how our church is? Now don't shake your heads and be all pious like, yep, that's us, we're perfect, EBC, we got it. I'm asking you, hey, what do you demand in your own individual life? What feeds you? What do you hunger and thirst for? Jesus said this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you, do you believe that part of your physical and spiritual life, you must be tied to the Word of God and have it flowing in and out of your own soul and your own life? Do you believe that you need God's Word so much that you'd be willing to give up a meal for it if it meant having the meal or not having God's Word, which would you choose? 
Now, don't be pious. And you can take one look at me and see there's many times where I choose El Rodeo, right? I'm just, I'm just asking where you are in your individual life, sir. There are people that come to this church week in and week out, and you're faithful, and we love you for it. But you've grown cold and indifferent in your Christian life. And you feel like as long as you go through a Sunday school lesson and show up in church and you really don't sing, but you just see who's there, that somehow you're okay. But you're rotting like a dead corpse on the inside unless the Word of God is paramount in your own life. You don't want your children to leave church. You don't want your children to grow bored with church. They've got to see mom and dad who are pouring their lives into the Word and practicing what it says and living in it day in and day out. Is that the kind of life that you have? Do you demand? You know what people demand in church life? Come on, yeah, listen, you say, man, you stop, you stop preaching and started meddling, all right? Well, let me just get to it. You know what most people demand? Most people in church life demand to have their, uh, their, their uh, preferences met. I can't remember the last time. Yeah, I can. It's been a few times since I've been here. Somebody's come up to me and said, Pastor, we need more preaching on Sunday. Please go longer. That's few and far between. Isn't that the way we are, though? We want our own preferences rather than hungering and thirsting and demanding that the Word of God be spoken and preached and taught to us so that we grow in Him. No, I'll just throw this out as an application and then I'll move to the next one because I don't want you to get too mad at me. These people are demanding that God's Word be given to them. Hungering after it. They're going after it. In just the last seven days of your life, is that the way that you felt toward the Bible? you feel that way toward God's Word? i got to have it. I can't live without it. If you're a believer here today and you say, yeah, it's not really the way I am, I just want to encourage you to say you're not alone. All of us fail in these areas. And aren't you glad that you're among a group of people that have messed up, but we have a good Lord Jesus who died for our sins and forgives us, and right where we are today, if that part of the sermon hits home for you, you know what? I haven't been reading the Scripture. I don't find joy in it. I'm not hungering and thirsting and demanding that I be fed God's Word. It's, it's not that real to me anymore. It once was. There was a day when I loved it and longed for it, but life is just kind of, the brush has come up and the dust has settled in, and I don't really love God's Word the way that I used to. I just want to share with you today. It's okay. Just confess that right where you are in a few minutes we'll pray together right in your own heart just say Lord Jesus I want your word to be important to me again and I want to get back on I want to read it and love it and apply it and live it and he'll meet you right there and all sin is forgiven and all grace is given and God will help you this week look back down at the verse if you would 
Not only does the centrality of the Word in the service and in our lives bring a unity and it brings this demanding, this hunger and longing for the Word of the living God, but I want you to notice this, that the Word of God when made central to the service and central to our lives meets the demand of every single age group and type of people in the church. Look at verse number 2. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly and notice who was there. The assembly of men and of women and of all who could listen with an understanding on the first day of the seventh month. That's part of the reason why we proclaim the Word of God here. If you look at our Sunday school material, if you look at our children's church material, whatever it is we do, we believe that God's Word is sufficient for all people at all times. Whether you're a man, whether you're a lady, or whether you're a child, whoever you are, God's Word always meets the need. Not God's Word plus something and not God's Word minus something. God's Holy Word meets the need. No matter your age, no matter your sex, no matter your ethnicity, no matter how rich or how poor or what your background is, God's written Word meets the need of every human life. And in this church, we believe in a family, uh, kind of a family integrated system where all of our children all the way through adults are learning. We learn together. But at the same time, we understand from this text that each individual group also needs special attention. So we have men that meet and we have women's groups that meet and we have small groups and we do children's church. But all of the organization and all of the programming behind everything we do in this church is driven by one thing and that is the Word of God. God's Word. Let me give you another one. Number four. When the Word is made central, look at verse number three. The end of verse number three. All the people were attentive to the book of the law. They say, um, what are you... uh, what are you going to do to uh, maintain attention? What are you going to do to garner garner a big crowd? I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to read God's Word and we're going to preach and explain the Word of God. And the Spirit of the living Lord, who lives inside of believers, will cause them to be attentive to the Word. Now just think about it for a second. You realize what we're doing here is kind of weird? You think about your life. In your business, in your life, your work, do you know any other form of life where people congregate together and one guy stands up and yells at everybody from one book? Right? Hopefully I'm not yelling all the time. I just get a little excited. You know any other form? Do you do that? I mean, you might, you might go to like, you might have like a, a, a conference at work or something like that, but usually it's not somebody standing up week after week after week just proclaiming and preaching and teaching one particular book. But that's the way that God ordained it. That's the way that He wants it done. In the New Testament, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter number 4, preach the Word and be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering doctrine. Why? So that the people of God may be truly furnished. That means they're fully furnished unto all good works. What other form of communication do you know of where a bunch of people get together, sing songs, give their money, pray, greet each other, give each other germs, and then sit back and listen to a book explains that reproves, rebukes, and exhorts. But that's the way that God ordained it, isn't it? 
when the Word of God is made central in the church and when the Word of God is made central in your life, you'll be attentive to it. So, how attentive are you right now to the sermon? Are you counting how many slats are on these things on the side or if there are any light bulbs out? Now I've given my ADD people things to look at. See there? Or are you attentive? Are you listening and longing? When you, when you listen to the word preached and you listen to the Bible, do you listen seeing if the guy does a good job or seeing if, uh, how that applies to your neighbor or your wife or your husband or your friends or your brother or your sister? And you better believe it. They need that sermon. I don't know if I told you all this. Years ago, I was in this real small kind of church plant. And by small, I mean like 15, 20 people. And when the guy would preach, there was a lady in the church. And when you've got 20 people in a place, you know, you know what's going on, right? And the, the preacher would preach, and this lady would go, Amen. <laughs> and everybody knew, man. She like, Amen, and toward me. I guess I need to get right with it. And then she, he preached a little while. That's right, preacher. And she'd be looking at different people. Don't do that. I don't want you to be attentive to, uh, for other people. I want you to be attentive for your own heart. You know, so many, so many believers, they, like I said, they bounce from church to church and they're forever looking for that. You know why? Because they're only looking for something that's new and that they haven't heard before and that sounds cool. Now, somebody said to me one time, well, it just needs to be deeper. I want to go deep into the Word of God. Okay, all of you that want to go deep into the Word of God, here's what I want you to know. Jesus said, bless those that curse you and pray for your enemy. Now spend the next five years working on that and we'll go deeper, okay? Because none of you have that mastered. You can't even let somebody in that's trying to get on the interstate without getting a fuzzed up over it. And if the light takes too long or... Heaven forbid, you're standing, you're in the, you're in the, you're in the drive-through at McDonald's and it takes seven minutes instead of five minutes to get your food. The anger and the rage, oh, I've got it now. I saw, I saw a report where they said the new ones where you put your card in instead of swiping it takes an average of 13 seconds longer. Is there anything more frustrating in life? I got an amen from a brother. I've been talking about Jesus for 10 minutes. And I say one thing about that, get an amen. Listen. We, listen, we got to be attentive to the Word of God. Don't worry about everybody else. Worry about your own heart. Get your heart right. Hey, I know there's some people in here that are hurting from things that people have done and said to you. You cannot fix them. What you can do is bend your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. Be attentive to the word of the living God. Let me, let me move on pretty quickly here. Um, here's a fifth thing. And you're going to have to follow with me because you'll find it in verse 3, verse 4, and verse 5. So you see about halfway through verse number 3, it says that they read early in the morning. Let me say that again. They read early in the morning until midday. And then look at verse number 4. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which had been made for that very purpose. And then verse number 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was standing above the people. Here's what I want you to take away, number five. And that is centrally what we're talking about as the main thrust of this sermon, that the Word of the living God must be paramount. It must be central. It must be the center of everything that we do in our worship service, 
and in our own personal lives. Why? Because it is the Word of God that proclaims to us Jesus Christ who died for our sins and was buried and rose again, who gives us new life, who washes all of our sins away and gives us new life in Christ. It is the Word of God that tells us about Jesus and He is the Savior of our soul. The Bible must be central to everything that we do. They read it from morning until midday. They stood up in the present. Oh, no, let me just tell you this. I was thinking about this earlier this morning. My legalists out here, don't come up to me after the sermon and say, see there, pastor, every time we read the scripture in church, we ought to all stand up. Okay, That's not what this is talking about. They did stand up out of reverence. It does, it, it, this, is, this is not prescriptive. It's descriptive material. Okay? So are there times where we stand up in honor? Yes. Are there times where you can honor the Word of God and sit where you are? Yes. And by the way, if you're going to live by that, you've got to also die by that. If you want us to stand up every time we read the Scripture, then read a little bit farther. You also need to lay prostrate on the ground and worship God every time you're in the service. So unless you want to lay down on the ground every time you're in here, don't come barking up my tree about standing every time we read. What I want to say from this text here is that God's Word should be central in what we do. And I'm just putting that before you. I'm putting that in my own life. Hey, we grow accustomed in this church, but I want to tell you something. I have no problem telling you this. Every denomination and every individual church and every individual life that makes light of, skirts, or demotes the use of Scripture in life and practice will fail and die. And that's why many mainline denominations, we, just, we were in Wakefield, Boston this last week. When you drive through a beautiful little city, uh, 30 or 40,000 people, I think it is. And they've got these big, in certain parts of the city, they've got these big, huge churches. And when you talk to uh, the church planter there, uh, in fact, the very church plant we're working with, Restoration Road, they are in a building, an old church building, and there is a church that meets there, and the church has five people week in and week out. And some of these cathedrals downtown, they have 20 or 30 people. And part of the reason, not the only reason, but part of the reason is that they have not preached and taught and made the Word of God central to everything they do. As a church, this is what we do. If you're visiting with us today, we love you. We want you to be a part of everything here. You're, you're welcome. But you... At least today, you got, you got it brass tacks, no bones about it, not covering up anything or making anything pretty for you. You say, what, what, what do we do here every week? We preach and teach and worship the Lord Jesus Christ and we preach the Word. That's what we do. And we do missions and evangelism and discipleship. They say, how do you do missions? We take the Word of God to the world. They say, how do you do evangelism? We take the Word of God to our local area. They say, how do you do discipleship? We open the Bible and teach it. That's what we do. Is the Bible central to your life? I'll make a couple more points here. We'll close her down for today. Um, number six. Look at verse number six. I think that's where I am. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Number six. 
when the Word of God is central to our church and to our lives, you will have obedience and worship. Now, you see where it says there in your English language, amen, amen. That word simply means uh, let it be, so be it. I agree wholeheartedly with what is being said here. Now, in our Baptist churches, we, we kind of just make, uh, we just kind of make fluff out of that. Amen, brother. Amen. That's good. But when these people said amen, they didn't say amen unless what they were saying is, whatever is coming out of the word of the Lord, I will do that with my life. And if you're not willing to do exactly what the Bible says to do with your life, don't say amen. Because the world around us that is lost are tired of seeing mealy-mouthed, nonchalant Christians who say one thing with their mouth and they never live it with their bodies and their lives. If you say amen, it must be the amen of obedience. Are you willing to follow Jesus Christ? To deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow Him every day in every way. And what does it say there? They said, Amen, Amen, we will obey. And then what did they do? They put their face to the ground and worshipped the God of heaven. When the Bible is central to our lives and central to this church, our congregation slowly will grow as a plant so that we are obedient to the Lord and we worship the Lord. What's that look like in your life right now? Obedience and worship. Let me give you a couple. Uh, look at verse number 8. When the Bible is central, they read from the book, from the law of God, then uh, you might have translating. The word there is uh, translating or explaining. So kind of two ways to understand this. Uh, some scholars are saying here that the word translating is probably correct. And what they're saying is that they were translating from Hebrew into Aramaic for these people. Uh, but I think the sense here, most, most scholars would agree, the sense here is far more than just translating. It is giving the sense of the Scripture. It is making it clear. And so it says here, translating to give the sense so that they understood what was being read. And that is the way that we always do preaching in this church, okay? I can, again, I'm not the pastor of any other church, but I'm going to tell you what we're going to do here. And uh, this is the way that we, one of the scriptures, why we do this way. Uh, almost always when we preach from behind this pulpit, whether it's last week, whether it's me or somebody else, we open up to a passage of scripture, usually a paragraph or two. We read through it and then we go back through the paragraph and we say what is the point of that very text. That is expositional uh, preaching and teaching. It just simply means to open up, to explain, to make the sense of the scripture clear. My whole goal every time I preach to you is that I think when I come up here that if Nehemiah was sitting right down here beside Greg and I was preaching, I want when I finish for Nehemiah to shake my hand and say, that's exactly what I was trying to say to those people. And if that's not the kind of preaching that we're doing, it's not preaching. Preaching is not reading a scripture and diving off some diving board into your political agenda or into all the things that you want to say or all of your hobby horses. Preaching it should be scriptural in nature. Biblical preaching gives the sense of the text. For instance, I don't want to make any enemies, but I want to tell you, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I am so happy if you have that as your life's verse. As long as you understand that if you get on top of this building and jump off, you will die. 
You see, you can't take that Scripture out of context. When the Apostle Paul makes that assertion that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, he's talking about living contently with the money that he either has or doesn't have. And when we understand the Bible, we understand it in context. We explain it in the very context in which it was given so that God's people learn to understand uh, the Word of God in that sense. Well, let me finish by this. Uh, uh, Here we go. Look at verse number 9. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, This day is a holy day to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the Lord. In the end of verse number 8, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When the Word of God is made central to our service and to your life, here's what you'll find. There will be repentance and joy. Repentance and joy. (laughs) What does it say? They were weeping because of the Word of God. And if you read the Bible and apply it to your life, and if you come and listen to the Word of God preached, it will cut you. And if you go to a church where you're never under conviction, where you never hear a sermon from God's Word that rubs up against the raw of your life and challenges you in your own sin, if you don't go somewhere where they tell you that you're a sinner and you need Jesus, get out of that place. The Bible will make you weep. And it should. There's a time for that. It should make you weep and it should make you repent. And it should cut you in the heart. It says, you know what? I've been doing that and I've been doing this and I haven't been doing that. And God, please work on my heart. I repent. I turn from that. But you know what? It says repentance and joy. This is the day that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Why is it that the author can say on this holy day when the book is read, don't weep anymore for there is the joy of the Lord. Because we understand when we read the Scripture that it is not just about you being a better Joe or a better Susie, but it is about believing on Jesus who is better than all of us, who paid for all of our sins on the cross, who accomplished everything that we could not accomplish. And all of my sin is paid for in the work of Christ on the cross. Amen? And there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for what the law could not do. Weak as it was, Christ has done for us. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Why? I am cutting my heart over my sin, but I rejoice in my heart because Jesus has paid for my sin and I will trust Him every day of my life. Let me finish by telling you this. You see in that text three or four times where it says, you see where they're meeting? At the water gate. You see that back there in verse number 1, verse number 3? They're meeting at the water gate. This is probably an allusion to Ezekiel chapter number 40 to 47. And in Ezekiel 41, I think it is, he says that when the water comes down out of the gate, wherever the water goes, all that is under the water will have life. And you see the next section here in Nehemiah says there was a feast of the booths. 
You'll find here that when, John, when Jesus is preaching on the last day of the Feast of Booths in the New Testament, Jesus stands up and says, let everyone who's thirsty come to me and I'll give them the water of life. And Jesus says to the lady who had been married five times and was living with a man in John chapter number 4, she is a sinner to the greatest degree, and He says to her, I'll give you rivers of living water springing up from your belly. This text is pointing us to where the true water gate is and where the Word of the living God truly comes from. And that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you trusting Him today? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've never bowed your knee and said, you can be the King of my life, off with my sin. Please come and save me and make me a child of God. If you've never believed on Jesus, this is the day, this is the hour, this is the moment in your life. Jesus died on the cross, shed His blood, took into Him all of the sin of those who would ever believe and three days later, alive, flesh and bone, man, He came up out of the grave so that if you would bow the knee of your heart and say, Jesus, I want You to be my Lord and Savior, He would. And all the rest of God's people, this is the day to make a commitment to the Lord that God's Word will be central in your life. I was walking down these steps. I was in a Sunday school room. I was walking down these steps coming in here and I was thinking about um, every week, every week, I get ready to preach. And um, some weeks I'm really happy and I'm just like you. Some weeks I'm high and some weeks I'm low and some weeks I'm in between. But I've given my life, and I will all the days of my life, to a few core value truths. And one of those is that God's Word will always be central to my own personal life, to my family life, and to the preaching of God's church. I wonder if you've made the same kind of commitment in your own life. And if you have and the dust has blown, the covers closed. Maybe it's time to open that up again. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes just for a minute? It's kind of what we do here. Um, just heads bowed, eyes closed. Just want to give you a minute to pray right where you are. So uh, in this time, right, right where you are, just nobody looking around. I don't know what your week looked like. I don't know if you got to be quiet with the Lord. And if you haven't, why don't you just take a second and do that now? I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy. I'm just going to ask you to talk with Jesus right there where you are. If you're a believer, if you know Christ as your Savior, why don't you just commit to Him again? Lord, I, I want to make the Bible real in my life. I want to read it. I want to pray it. I want to do it. And maybe there's somebody here today and you say, man, I, I'm not sure that I am a believer. I'm not sure. I may be a Christian in name only, but I'm not sure that I really have given my life to Jesus, okay? Look, let's take a deep breath. If you feel in your heart right now, you say, man, I, 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 it kind of rings true what you're saying, that Jesus loved me and died for me, and He wants to save me. Right there where you are, quietly, talk to Him. You don't have to talk to Him like some kind of religious person. 
Just talk to Him in your own voice, in your own heart. Honestly speak to Him and say, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I know that I've sinned. And I, uh, I want to trust You. I want You to be the Lord of my life. I'm not even sure what the next days and hours, I'm not sure about what's next. But what I know is that I've been living a lie. I'm empty. I need you. My dear friend, if that's the honest and sincere cry of your life, He'll save you right there. And this church and these people, and me and the staff, we, we'll walk alongside with you and we'll help you. There's a long journey in front of you. But right now where you are, why don't you just give up? Say, man, Jesus, I need you. You make a decision like that quietly where you are. When this service is over and people start kind of milling about and leaving, would you come find me? Talk to me? Let us help you along the road? Today, you can gain a new brother in Jesus and a new family in church. We're not perfect, but we are forgiven. And we are followers of Christ. And my dear friends, those of you that are saved, I'll make the Word central in your life.